Nicolas Bornois of Catalink, and I would like to welcome you to another uh, terrific panel uh, during our forum. This panel uh, is focusing on sustainability and sustainability as a core business strategy. I'm gratified that uh, we have with us a great moderator, Ms. Chiara Conti from EY, and uh, senior executives from five major industry participants leading shipping companies, which have exactly implemented sustainability as a core business strategy. So we were discussing just before coming online that what really makes a difference in these online forums is the topics and the panelists. And I couldn't be more grateful and pleased to have uh, a panelist of this caliber with us and of course, moderator. So thank you very much. And Chiara, I will let you introduce our speakers. Uh, thank you to all for being with us. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Bernoses. So without uh, further delay, welcome everyone. Uh, I'll start with introducing the panelists and then uh, we'll jump right, right into the discussion. So I'll start with the ladies, uh, Ms. Harris Pakadonaki, Chief Strategy Officer of Starbuck Carriers. Welcome, Harris. Uh, Mr. Kim Bale, CFO from Thorn. Welcome, Kim. Uh, Mr. Matt Boris, Treasurer and Head of Capital Markets at Atlas Corporation. Welcome, Matt. Uh, Mr. Alex Hatspateras, Executive Vice President of Business Development for Dorian LPG and Mr. Brian Gallagher, Head of Investor Relations and Communications, and also member of the Sustainability Committee at Euronav. So uh, welcome everyone. Um, the, the topic uh, I think is very interesting for all and you're all uh, very well placed to, to discuss. So I'll start uh, immediately. I know that the aspects are related to the shipping industry and specifically the impacts to the environment are many. Uh, one could say uh, heavily regulated uh, especially global developments around the carbonization. We have the IMO's landmark decision for at least a 50% reduction in greenhouse gases by 2050. This obviously triggers uh, new challenges and opportunities for the industry. We also have uh, another set of environmental aspects that are very relevant to the impacts that the industry creates uh, to sustainability, such as air quality, uh, impacts from ballast water spills, waste on biodiversity, resource efficiency, ship recycling, etc. And also we have uh, the socioeconomic uh, impact. So impacts that relate mostly to your human capital, such as labor practices, health and safety, uh, and human rights. So the question that I think jumps into everyone's mind is given all these topics, how do you prioritize your focus areas? Uh, how do you prioritize your target setting, your action plans, and whether these uh, strategic decisions are based on uh, risk assessment, opportunity assessments, and specifically for decarbonization uh, and the risk and opportunity assessment part, to what degree are you already implementing uh, climate scenario modeling uh, to make these decisions understand both the physical and transition risks that uh, climate change poses. So uh, I'll say we can definitely start discussing and then I'll pose some uh, specific questions to, to every one of you. Hi, so Thierry, I'm, like I'm, I'm happy to start here and, and, uh, and give the Starbucks perspective. 
first, I would like to thank you, uh, being a moderator, and thank uh, also the Capital Link team for inviting me to speak here today. Um, uh, so basically, how, how we do as a company embed ESG in our uh, strategic planning. For starters, sustainability is at the heart of our vision, which is to be the leader in uh, sustainable drive-out shipping. And in that respect, ESG performance is not simply a pillar of our strategy, as it used to be some years ago, but, but as Nicolas mentioned earlier, is at the core of our business and of everything we do. Uh, but what does that mean in practice? Uh, th this means that uh, we have an annual strategic planning process through which we set annual targets for the company. And then we move on to identify initiatives and action plans in order to achieve those objectives. Um, and throughout this process, and along of course with our financial and public market performance, we do keep track of a wide range of key performance indicators on ESG. So uh, to give you a few examples, we, we monitor our emissions on the environmental front, uh, we monitor our safety, security, and quality through rights ratings, through force control. Uh, we do keep track of our people's well-being through metrics such as um, LTIF, retention rate, etc. And very importantly, these targets are then linked to the performance evaluation and the subsequent remuneration of our management and, and of our employees. Um, th this is critical as it ensures that um, everyone at Starbucks is aligned to the company's objectives and that ESG is actually and in practice embedded in our everyday work. We're also transparent about our, about our ESG strategies and action plans. Um, so every year we publish an ESG report where we report in great detail our sustainability performance. This process is actually a great tool for us because it enables us to review where we stand uh, compared to previous years and also to industry benchmarks, but also to identify action plans on how to further improve our track record. And uh, Kara, you also mentioned about risks and opportunities management. Uh, for us, this is an everyday topic of discussion within our team. It is a core element of our corporate governance. We consider it to be a responsibility towards investors, our people, our partners, um, society in general. Let me give you an example. Um, how will the IMO measures, both short-term and long-term, affect our business? When looking at short-term risks, for example, and opportunities, um, we have a dedicated in-house team at Starbucks who are working daily on CII scenarios. This is a carbon intensity index by the IMO. Uh, we do this for each one of our vessels. Uh, and this way, we identify risks with regards to compliance, but we also determine opportunities. For example, uh, which are the most promising energy-saving technologies? Um, uh, does it make sense to invest in uh, high-quality bottom paints? These are just a few examples of uh, issues that we discuss here within our team every day. And then, of course, we also have the longer-term impact of IMO regulations. And on that front, what we're trying to do is that we're paying close attention to developments uh, when it comes to green fuels. And to do that, we, we need to participate actively in the relevant dialogue within different initiatives. This enables us to better assess risks related to the zero emission fuels. Uh, so, so for example, safety concerns on the handling and storage of such fuels, uh, but also we try to identify opportunities uh, because looking ahead, uh, we, we need also to make You're sure that- the breaking up. I, I think Harry sorry, it's just me. Can you repeat the, the last part? Because I missed that. Can you repeat the last part? Because I missed that. Of course, of course. I was just saying that the, in the longer run, uh, we try to participate in the dialogue.
try to participate in the dialogue with other industry stakeholders in order to uh, better assess risks that are related to emission fuels. Um, for example, a major concern for us is the safety concerns on, on handling and storage of uh, the new fuels. Uh, but along with the risks, there, there are also opportunities. Uh, so, for example, um, when it comes to future investments in new vessels, where will those opportunities lie for us? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Harris. And uh, I suppose that this uh, to, to 2050 target of IMO uh, means uh, a more also mid and short term view on target setting. So, for example, what does this mean for 2030 or what does it mean for 2025? Yeah, I can, uh, if I can chip in, uh, Kim here from Tom, because I can echo a lot of what you just said, Sheriff. Uh, it's, uh, it's fully embedded uh, in our organization from the board, uh, which uh, basically sets the, uh, the targets and the strategy for our ESG as a whole. This is not just the uh, decarbonization targets, but as you also mentioned, uh, the S and the G. So it's anchored there, the strategy uh, and the supervision, and then uh, certain elements are anchored in the audit committee, some in risk, uh, but it's just a fully embedded uh, uh, way of operating uh, in our in our organization. And I think, you know, the things are moving quite quickly now. And I think the path we are on, on a, you know, on an operational level is that all of a sudden, this is, you know, collecting data, uh, governing data, documenting, controlling, uh, and, and operating uh, all the ESG is just the way we do all the other stuff we are doing on finance reporting or what have you. So it's just increasingly becoming just a part of our daily life and the, uh, the way we are handling uh, what else we are doing. So, so that is one effort that I think we are all working on right now. And then... Uh, in some, we are extremely transparent on uh, what we are doing, uh, and uh, and we uh, published our ESG report earlier this year um, and got some great feedback on that. And uh, we will enhance the reporting uh, in the coming uh, report that we are publishing uh, alongside the annual report, where. So you know we follow the uh, IMO uh, 2030 target, and uh, and we will be uh, carbon neutral operating our fleet in 2050. Uh, and we will probably, uh, we will aim at being uh, more ambitious than that. So the thing is, how can we convey that as transparent as possible? Uh, and it's just an increasing uh, effort to become more transparent on that. We have the same time, we have, uh, you know, on climate change, on, um, on uh, SOX emissioning, on safety and what have you. It's very changeable targets uh, that we measure. Um, quarter by quarter, year by year. It's part of our, as you do a monthly report uh, and KPI that, you do the same on uh, these targets and have specific initiatives on it. Um, okay. And I think what, what also drives it is the community. Of course, banks were out uh, quickly on uh, Poseidon and in the north, you know, Northern Europe, investors were out uh, early, but you see a quick or a rapid pickup, for instance, uh, in the US right now where investors are, luckily, I think this is an opportunity also, but luckily also putting a, a, a spotlight on how we perform, how uh, our how we target set, how, what initiatives we make, how we report. So I think it, we, are, we, are, we are there right now where there's a huge speed ahead in, um, on this track. And Kim, you mentioned reporting a lot, both internally and externally. Uh, would anyone else like to comment on 
how the current lack of convergence when it comes to ESC standards is working for you, if it creates uh, extra burden or if it's integrated in your reporting systems? I, I can touch on that a, a bit. I mean, I think um, developing KPIs is, is a natural part of you know, the early stages of a global focus on ESG and a company focus on ESG. Um, bringing that all together uh, with a global focus has really been a, a, a recent thing. And I think it's, it's um, up to the companies in some way to develop data, figure out what um, KPIs and measurements are relevant. And then the, the industry as a whole can use those to move forward uh, early on for our industry, AER became a, a hot topic as a, a data point to kind of proxy or measure uh, emissions and, and the industry grabbed hold of that. You know, on our side, um, data is a huge thing. We, we've come together cross-functionally to figure out every angle of ESG um, and figure out, you know, what do we have control of? How do we have control of it? And, and how do we measure it? Um, so data, uh, is extremely important being able to, to put sensors on vessels, use satellites that were never previously available for use to collect is, is extremely important. We're lucky that we've got one of the largest container fleets on the planet. So uh, a ton of data coming in every day, telling us, um, how vessels are being operated, what designs, what routes, what speeds are most efficient, and we're able to take that and, uh, and, and make you know, micro and macro improvements, um, but I think also inform us in future of what, what should we be looking at that we haven't been looking at before. And that then informs our reporting. Um, until we have those data points, we can't, quite, we can't put them out there until the industry hears how we measure ourselves. So it's a it's a process, and I think we're we're all in the early stages of it. Thank you, Matt. Uh, Brian, would you like to also comment on the priorities, strategic priorities for you? I mean, I think one thing that shipping lends itself very well to, and everyone on this panel has mentioned quite. I can only echo the, the thoughts. It's very embedded within our, you like our DNA, um, and we do in, in our own different shipping ways and shipping segments. You know, a very complicated logistical um, uh, transactions, very difficult jobs. And as Matt has said, you know, there's a lot of data points uh, from an operational financial aspect, which is going through all of our businesses. So it's a natural progression, a natural follow on that we would um, have this ESG function uh, and uh, focus very much uh, at our core of all our business models. I think one thing that we, uh, you and I are very keen to, to stress, and we feel maybe a little bit more at the pointed end because we're, we're our sole business is transporting crude, which has its own uh, wider um, sort of uh, issues and reputation, is um, is the 2030. Um, we, we get a little bit frustrated when we hear some of these other sectors talking about how they're going to be X, Y, and Z in 2050. You know, the, the executives who are going to execute that uh, are, are going to be se almost several generations away. Uh, it's a, quite an empty promise in our thought uh, process. And shipping has got a real opportunity with the 40% with the reduction in carbon intensity as a goal, which we're all signed up for, and we're all focused on, and I echo Kim's points, you know, there's going to be a very healthy competition for all of us to try and beat that trajectory. That's something which we're not seeing in other, other sectors at all. And I think sometimes shipping um, can be a little bit inward looking, um, and we've, we've got a real opportunity 
we are one of the we are the most efficient transportation um, mode that's out there by some distance. Um, and sometimes we're a little bit uh, shy to to say that as an industry. And I think that's what we would we'd be very keen in is that, is that you know we the, the, this is a new, obviously an inward looking panel, but collectively we can all come together a little bit more um, and uh, you know promote shipping and say that we're we're doing the right things and we're not doing them in some sort of 20, 30 year trajectory. We're going to do it at the end of this decade. And I think that's where we, we've got a real strong focus um, in terms of our own sort of messaging um, and also trying to sort of cajole and get our peer group and, and our other shipping cousins um, to, to think along the same lines. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Alex? Thank you. Thank you, Chiara, and uh, glad to be here. I, I'd just like to make two points. Uh, one is that in order to reach uh, all of these targets, whatever year we pick, uh, we're gonna have to rely on the crew on board and many of the new uh, technologies and fuels, it's almost like you have two engine rooms. So we've invested heavily in, uh, in training and um, automation. And of course, I, I echo Matt's point on the data, but you know we have to look at how you use the data, data quality. So we're really focusing on the, on the human element and gender diversity on board the ships to build a pool because we have a lot of new buildings coming into the market across many different sectors. So there's gonna be a competition for, for seafarers. Uh, I was on a panel before this and somebody mentioned that the crew have almost become uh, commoditized. And that's exactly the opposite of how we think of, of crew. You know, during the COVID period, uh, it was, as we're continuing, it was one of the most challenging periods and all of our crew continued to fly around the world while we were at home. So that's one element. And then on sustainability, I just wanted to mention, although we haven't done it, we are also gonna think local, look at cultural sustainability, look at the communities uh, where we work, for example, some of the provinces in the Philippines and try and make a difference there. So I think that this is one of the touch points I just wanted to mention that, that go local as well as looking global. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Alex. Uh, now, Brian, back to you. Um, I think it was very recently, uh, back in April this year, that you announced a new sustainability link loan, uh, which was linked to sustainability and emission reduction targets. Um, so how, can you elaborate a bit on how uh, diversifying your funding into sustainable uh, type of funding, uh, while at the same time try to address all these challenges and have this target setting, especially the, the short and midterm target setting, how is it working for you? Sure, absolutely. Well, the, um, the two go hand in hand in many respects. Uh, and obviously at the core, they've got the Poseidon principles, which uh, we were very keen and, and very uh, an early part of the, the drafting of those uh, principles. But the, the sustainability loan you looked at, you talked about there was an interesting one on its own. About a third of our funding today is sustainability linked, and that will only increase as we go forward. Um, over the next uh, 12 to 18 months as we uh, see other maturities in our other financing profile. But this was a, an 80 million euro um, uh, revolving credit facility, which had a, a number of targets embedded within it. Uh, we had a, quite a diverse range of banks, uh, both from Europe and also from Australasia, uh, which again was important. But one of the key aspects was that we're looking to continue to diversify our funding as much as possible. The Flemish government actually came in on that uh, as, as an investment for infrastructure. So that's a new, that's a new partner for us. Um, of course, it's good to have that visibility and, of course, that, that uh, um, scrutiny that comes from, from, the, from the different targets. It's getting access to as many pools and as deep pools as, as possible. And from our perspective, as a slightly um, different company in, in the wider context of our operations, we're very, very European focused. Our major, our major 
uh, cost base in terms of the, the, the staff goes through uh, Belgium and Greece. And so therefore we pay those obviously uh, individuals in euros. So this was a euro denominated loan, unlike most of our, all of our other loans, which are dollar. So that helps us in terms of maxing, uh, matching in terms of costs um, and obviously that funding structure. Um, it's very much embedded in terms of the targets uh, and very much in line with what we're going to see. And we do believe if we get the regulations in place, we agree with what uh, the Chief Executive of Society General said recently on the sustainability side that we would expect to see we're only getting a five basis point improvement if we meet these targets, which is, is nice to have. Uh, and of course, the, the profile and the scrutiny and visibility for investors is important, as well as other stakeholders. But we do believe we'll start to see that move and there'll be a greater differentiation. So this is a train I think all companies are going to have to sort of catch. Um, you can't ignore it anymore because increasingly the, the um, sustainability features are going to be standard. They're going to be increasingly stringent, as they should be. They're going to be um, very, very challenging in meeting those targets. And if you don't meet those targets, then you should have some form of punishment. Um, but also, if you are going to beat them, then there should be, and they're challenging and they're um, audited, then there should be a better reward structure. So we certainly would believe with, uh, with some of the banks that we'll start to see that benefit, that, if you like, that reward process uh, move upwards from five basis points um, into a greater number, which, again, will incentivize uh, better behaviors and better movement. And I'm sure everyone else on the panel has got their own um, sort of focus on this, um, it's going to become more and more standard. Um, and effectively, if, if you're not going to catch this train, uh, I think you're going to get more and more left behind. And rightly so. Um, what we also need to see, though, is that um, the banks themselves are under pressure in terms of who they're lending to, um, that this gives them the opportunity to, to, to push back and go back to their stakeholders and say, listen, we're lending on the right basis. And here's a, a profile um, and a reward structure, performance structure, um, that, that is tangible um, and that we can measure. So we're really, really pleased with the progress we've made. Uh, we converted two existing loans into a $713 million uh, revolving credit facility uh, this time last year. Um, and there's gonna be further progress to make. It's a lot of hard work for the finance team, a lot of hard work for those uh, doing the measurement. It's another level as, as both Kim and Matt said in terms of data collection, um, which is already sort of floating around. Um, but it means you know, the, the, the goals uh, and the rewards are, are definitely worth it. So we're really pleased with the progress we've made uh, and we anticipate making more progress uh, going forward. We recently launched a bond in Norway of $200 million. And again, that will have some sustainability features um, as part of that, uh, that funding as well. So we're very pleased with the, 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 the diversity we've got, the, the depth of capital pools we're accessing, um, but it's only going to become more and more standard. Uh, and we welcome that. Do you anticipate, given all this funding, that improvements in performance will uh, further along allow you to uh, improve your trajectory of uh, reduction, your, your emission reduction pathway, and reset some of these targets to be more ambitious moving forward? Absolutely. And I think a key part of that will be the investment in technology. Um, we've got eight ships on order, which is about 15% of our, of our core fleet. Um, and whilst the early ships will take delivery of won't have the opportunity, we're trying to future-proof that investment. So what we mean by that is we're strengthening the decks, we're putting more pipe work involved. So therefore we can have the capability, we hope, by 2025 to um, install dual fuel, um, conventional fuel and ammonia fuel uh, as a propulsion system. And that can make a real quantum leap. That could reduce our carbon emissions by uh, somewhere between 93 and 95%. Um, and therefore, we believe then that becomes a commercial opportunity in terms of uh, how we can utilize that within the fleet. And you would do the same in any other shipping sector, but also a commercial opportunity to the banks that we can sit there and have different funding structures for those particular ships. 
Uh, and what that will do, clearly, that's such a big quantum leap potentially. As you say, it will it will reduce, if you like, uh, as a, as a company, our um, our emissions. Uh, and it isn't just about sort of future projects. You know, we're trialing at the moment. We've done a number of trials out there on biofuels. Again, where there's some really good data and some really good um, numbers coming through from specific voyages. Uh, and again, it's just rolling that out and using that as as a platform uh, to to drive that going forward. So yeah, round trip. It's it's very exciting. Um, and, and I think, as, as Kim said, better than I can before, you know, the, the, what is really encouraging from a shipping perspective is that we, we all sit there and we see the trajectory we're looking to beat um, in terms of where we are today. But there's an ambition to bring that trajectory forward and that, uh, that gradient forward. So 2030, there's no reason why it couldn't be 2028, 2027. And again, okay. that's bringing us the opportunity to, to, um, to get the pom-poms out, get the loud hailers out, and let's tell everybody about it. Um, because there are, there's no other uh, transport industry that can, is, is in a position to do that. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Uh, Matt, coming back to you, you, you mentioned uh, that you improve your performance uh, through vessel design, travel speed, uh, trade route, uh, cargo carried. Uh, can you further explain a bit uh, your initiatives regarding the seat design part and how this helps you to uh, decrease your overall footprint? Yeah. Definitely. I just first also wanted to touch on, you know, Alex's point about the, the, the crew and the social side. I think um, sustainability is often directly connected these days in people's minds with, with environmental, but uh, sustainability as it relates to social or, or your employees is super important. Um, for our crew, we've got over 5,000 seafarers. Sustainability is massively important. So keeping our crew happy to work under the C-SPAN banner happy to um, work long-term, train newer employees and kind of keep that going is, is tremendously important to being able to, to operate at a, a high level of performance or high quality level. Um, so looking at KPIs on that side, like lost time injury frequency as a proxy for safety is a big one, but um, other, say, smaller focuses from a, a public perspective are things like tenure and advancement with the company, um, which indicate quality of our training programs. And that keeps our crew training newer members and creates a positive feedback loop. And I think um, just comes down to the, the right companies will do things well, or the, the good companies will do things right. And, um, and that's how companies will, uh, companies like ourselves will separate ourselves um, over time through taking care of our employees. So wanted to touch on that first, but on the, on the environmental side, um, we're focused on the, on the pursuit of, of a zero carbon environment and guided by, by IMO 2050 and, and many of the, the targets the industry has been setting. Um, but as I think everyone's touched on, it's a, it's a transition for our industry rather than a, a light switch that can be flipped overnight and some of the technologies are still coming out. So for us, these our environmental efforts have come a long way over the last 10 years with eco-designs being the key focus. Um, our projects and tech team is, is always keen to enhance vessel design, figure out what they can tweak, how they can, how they can improve. Uh, that's kind of what gets them up in the morning. Um, but we're also dependent on customers' interests in these designs. We're part of a supply chain, and that's why our customer partnerships are, are critical to, uh, to us and to this evolution. 
Um, so we've also tackled this from a supply chain perspective. Uh, while we own the vessel and the vessel is, is part of the problem or part of the, the puzzle, um, the other part is, is our customer's operation of, of those vessels or our customer's uh, desire for, say, speed is a major factor. Um, and we've been engaging with our customers to align incentives where um, we track and measure the, uh, the emissions performance of our vessels. And depending on how the, say, guidance of those vessels or the speed is impacting the emissions, we'll award our customers for good behavior and um, potentially penalize for, for poor behavior. But aligning across the supply chain is going to be incredibly important because just making a unilateral decision uh, as an individual company can only go so far. Um, and then with in recent years, with a greater global focus on ESG emissions targets, pathway to net zero, um, aside from just design changes of vessels, alternative fuels have naturally become the major focus. Uh, we've recently built a number of LNG vessels for our customers, which, you know, as we've been discussing, are not the end solution, but are part of the transition and can reduce emissions by 25 to 50 percent uh, versus conventional fuels at the higher end with bio LNG. Um, but that's a, a that along with you know some recent developments on methanol, these are great transition technologies that got us part of the way there. Um, the next steps continue to be an evolution. Uh, we're exploring, um, I think it, in partnership with across the supply chain, the solutions and related infrastructure will take time to develop. It's a, we're a long, long asset life industry and there's a lot of infrastructure involved that will be transitioned over time. Um, and things need to be economic, but I think the global focus on, uh, on emissions um, creates an explicit and implicit cost, which speeds up that transition um, and is a positive for everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Um, Harris, um, I know that Starbuck is uh, working a lot on decarbonization, but also our quality and specifically SOX emissions are, again, being regulated for, for the industry. So, uh, Given your recent decrease uh, in sulfur emissions, uh, could you care to elaborate on how you did it? Because the decrease from last year is, is uh, uh, very uh, impressive. So I'm guessing you invested in that. Uh, yes, of course. So, so when it comes to our SOX emissions, uh, we, uh, we completed the Herculean project, I would say, in terms of uh, exhaust gas cleaning systems early on. Uh, so, uh, so before the January 1st, uh, 2020 deadline of the, the IMO sulfur cap, uh, we had equipped with exhaust gas cleaning systems the majority of our fleet. And, uh, and this way we have been able to, uh, to achieve major reductions. And um, uh, of course, uh, we, we expect to, to comply also timely and very efficiently also with the, the upcoming um, decarbonization regulations. I don't know if you would like me to elaborate a bit on, on that front, because we do have a, a major program ahead of us in terms of uh, decarbonization strategies. And you want to elaborate a bit on that? Is it a... Uh... Sure. sure. Close so, 
so, so as you mentioned, during the past years, we have already done good work on, um, uh, on improving the, the efficiency of our fleet. Um, this has been part of our overall operational excellence program, uh, which has, of course, given us um, also environmental benefits. Uh, so, um, uh, for example, and um, uh, as others have mentioned in the panel, we have also deployed telemetry across our fleet to have accurate and, and real-time uh, emissions data. And we also have a dedicated in-house team who continuously monitor the performance of our vessels. Uh, we're also piloting latest technology platforms on voyage optimization. And I'm sure you're all seeing a lot of such initiatives coming up in the, the market lately which deal, for example, with the route optimization, um, uh, speed optimization, trim, optimal arrival, et cetera. Um, of course, uh, optimal timing of dry docks, optimal timing of um, hull cleaning, um, uh, the use of um, uh, good quality uh, vessels, um, uh, bottom paint, uh, piloting of uh, energy saving devices. Now, all these are topics that uh, we discuss within our management team on a daily basis. So it's not a one-off discussion every year or every quarter. And um, um, uh, along with the performance team that I mentioned earlier, we also have a dedicated research and development team that keeps track of all new technologies on energy efficiency, and uh, which assesses also in pilot promising solutions. And um, uh, since, since we own a large uh, fleet, we also have the advantage of, of spreading the cost of any new pilot across many vessels. Um, at, at the same time, transparency and collaboration with our partners is also critical. It's already mentioned by other panelists. Uh, we do share our carbon intensity data uh, with our banks, for example, through the Poseidon principles, uh, with our charters, through the Sea Cargo Charter. Um, uh, same as Euronav this year, we also engage in a sustainability link loan facility with um, one of our banks with a commitment to comply with um, specific car carbon intensity targets. And this happens, of course, even before the, the IMO CIR regulations begin. Now, looking into the future, our vision is to be front runners um, in the overall industry effort to decarbonize. And um, we, we have laid out um, a quite comprehensive strategy with tangible objectives in order to achieve that. Part of this strategy is, of course, research and development on, on the green fuels, the zero emission fuels. Um, just to give you a few examples, uh, we participate in a number of R&D consortiums with other companies which um, uh, focus on the feasibility for the use of green fuels, uh, biofuels, ammonia. And it is important to note that we are fuel agnostic. So in that sense, we, we are examining different solutions at the moment. Um, we're also active in industry alliances and partnerships which um, uh, work to develop the roadmap and strategies for the takeover of green fuels. Uh, for example, getting to Zero Coalition, uh, the International Bikering Industry Association, where we sit on their board. And um, uh, another key element uh, is uh, to look into the climate-related risks and opportunities ahead of us. And um, uh, here we have been much assisted by our participation in the Carbon Disclosure Project, which uh, you may be uh, familiar with. Uh, this has provided us with a very solid framework to, to perform uh, climate uh, uh, risk analysis. Um, uh, now, now, of course, there are also challenges and opportunities ahead of us from this energy transition and um, uh, uncertainty as to which will be the fuel of the future is the elephant in the room for, uh, for all shipping companies, not only related to the technology on board ships to burn these fuels, um, uh, but mostly related to the production and availability of the new fuels. 
And, and of course, the pricing of, of the fuels, which unless there is some type of government subsidy or, or some uh, contract with the treasury to pass on this cost, it is expected to be a multiple of the cost of uh, today's fuels. Uh, so, so in the shorter term, we, we need to comply, of course, with the CII and EXI regulations. And uh, we expect that this will either lead to, uh, to increased cost for us in terms of um, uh, energy saving solutions, or at some point we will be forced to, uh, to reduce fees. And uh, of course, if, if neither of these two solutions work, we, we may be forced also to, to recycle some of our vessels. Uh, now, regional regulations such as um, uh, the European ETS will also have additional cost for us for as long as we're burning fossil fuels. And um, in the longer term, a potential reduction in, in, in the demand for coal could also impact um, our business as coal is one of the uh, major tribal cargoes being transported globally. Uh, so, so, so this is what, what we see on, on, on the risk front when it comes to carbonization, but then we also have, of course, opportunities. And um, uh, we believe that companies that are proactive in monitoring the performance and um, uh, in trying out and investing in technologies, uh, we should be able to improve our efficiency early on, whether technically or operationally or both. And, and this way we expect to gain a competitive advantage. Um, now, now, whether this comes through complying with the regulation and, and being able to, uh, to trade your vessels or uh, whether through uh, reduced fuel costs, we, we expect to be seeing an advantage on that front. And uh, also by being transparent on our emissions and working together with our partners, as, uh, as I've already given a few examples, uh, we do expect to strengthen our relationships to them and, and perhaps we see benefits uh, such as uh, reduced financing costs, so potentially better chartering rates in the future. Um, uh, so, so these are a few opportunities in the short term. And a final note on, on, on the longer term, uh, there we should be able to be at the forefront of, of development of green fuels. Um, and if we manage to achieve that, uh, we may be early adopters of new technologies uh, and may be able to invest early on in, in the most promising uh, zero emission vessels, of course, as, as soon as the landscape around the new fuels uh, clears out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Harris. If uh, two minutes are left at the end, I, I want to come back on the climate, uh, financial impacts of climate risk. But Kim, uh, coming back to you and... Uh, back to sustainable finance. Um, we've seen that Torm has set very ambitious targets, more ambitious than uh, what the IMO suggests uh, for 2050, and again, very ambitious targets for 2030. Uh, how do you integrate these goals into investment strategies and, and sustainable funding? Uh, I'll try to do it a brief. Um, we have an uh, integrated, first of all, we have an integrated platform in Torm. So, of course, we are ship owner. We own uh, 85 uh, product tanker vessels, but we also have uh, uh, commercial and technical management in-house. So, I think uh, on, a, on an integrated platform, we call one Torm. So, say, having said that, uh, so it, it starts with the customer. Uh, and the, I think you uh, put it nicely, Matt. So, the, uh, the cooperation with the, with the customer and how we set ambitious targets together, the demand uh, that the customers uh, put upon us, uh, and the ability for us uh, to deliver uh, to that promise uh, from, say, our platform, basically driven by the tech department. Uh, and in the end, uh, having uh, optimized vessels uh, that has, uh, uh, again, an, 
uh, you know, the most optimized value in, uh, in market terms. So it, it all ties together, of course. When it goes into, when we talk about investments, I think about it uh, three ways. Uh, we have the daily, um, let's say, uh, add-on uh, optimization pro projects, as we've touched upon in this panel already. There's a lot of them. Uh, we do it on uh, hull, we do it on energy efficiency and so forth, on paint and what have you. Uh, root optimization, I think we all are becoming more and more ambitious on, uh, on all these elements and can apply data much more uh, detailed and, uh, and using AI frameworks that will uh, allow us to, uh, to optimize it further. So, but these are, many of these are um, integral or, or sorry, uh, small improvements that you put on on, the, on a daily basis that will add up to, to solve the issue. Then there are the more, uh, say, five to 10, I call them five to 10% uh, advancements that you can make. There are several solutions of that. We all know them uh, and we work with them. And you need to imp implement that, those also and invest in them. And then, of course, uh, as uh, I think Sherry's uh, uh, called it, uh, the elephant in the room. So let's get ready for when we have uh, the green fuel of the future that we uh, believe in. And so when we order new buildings, we will get them as ready as possible. Uh, I think Brian also said it, you know, enhancing deck and what have you. So we're ready for, for the new uh, fuel uh, uh, of the future. And all these, uh, so that's, that's how we think about it. And then I think on, uh, if we talk about investments and optimizing our vessel portfolio, so you have the commercial aspect, you have the financial aspect, and you also have the uh, environmental aspect of uh, any given decision you're, that you're making. So it all ties together uh, and you need to, uh, to balance it out. Uh, so you reach your targets and, uh, and potentially uh, can become even more um, uh, ambitious than, uh, than, you, than you have uh, displayed. Uh, I think that's, that's the goal for all of us. I just have a comment on your, Brian, when you said uh, between sustainability, I like to think it, I think the same way, but with another angle is that I think the spread could actually widen, as you're saying, but I think it would be more a punishment for those who do not comply with their goals. So actually, when I go out and, uh, of course, I would like to have a wide spread and the five basis points, but I actually think that the ones who do not comply will get a, a punishment of much wider than 5%. If you do not comply and you don't have ambitious targets enough, that's at least how I think about it. Uh, so I agree with you, but, but with that angle. I think that's fair, Kim, and I think obviously the, the ultimate punishment will be that those that are not going to um, even engage will, will, will find that their access to capital is, is, is severely short. So no, I, I think it's the same It's the same uh, aim. It's, it's, it's getting there by a different route. But yeah, I, as long as we have that, that framework, um, yeah, we, we, we fully agree with that. I think that's a really good point. Totally agree. Yeah. So I think that's my brief uh, input. It's just, you know, we work on, on a daily basis and uh, we need to be ambitious. A, a, a little side note is that when you do all the things that we are talking about here, you also get inspired. So I think you, we learn on a daily basis working with new technologies. So I think we all also get inspired into, uh, you know, adjacent businesses that we will probably not have looked into some years ago, but we are all working with things uh, alongside our normal business that we would invest in uh, some of us or uh, probably all of us uh, as new business. 
I think that's a that's an interesting part of our our daily business now, and and uh, another way of uh, pushing this agenda forward. Thank you, thank you, Kim. Now, Alex, uh, you touched upon the social aspect and uh, different stakeholders, including uh, crew and uh, local communities. Uh, do you find that both for social aspects and environmental impacts, that the practical implications or advantages uh, that you face at the moment, uh, the challenges and opportunities are uh, prioritized in a manner that allows you to both create long-term value through your uh, management and your performance, but also anticipate risks and um, comply with, uh, with heavy regulations? So maybe I can answer this in reverse. So if you take the, the UN Sustainable Development Goals and we talk a little bit about strategy to get down to what you're referring to, I think what's very important for, for companies and for investors when they look at different public companies is if you have a consolidated strategy where you pick three or four goals and you show measurable uh, improvement against them, which what you discussed, what I alluded to, could be one aspect. And that creates value. I think it's very important for us not to make it like a tick box exercise, just to put out a report that is copy paste of maybe what other people have seen in the market and to show a real um, kind of belief and a culture that's embedded as we referred to earlier in, in the culture of the company. It's not easy, it's a challenge, it's an evolution and we're going through it now. I wouldn't say we're finished, of course, but um, that, that's how I would speak about it to our team internally. So you start from the pyramid and, and kind of build down from there to, to create this value. And I think that the investment community and you see it with activists looking at some of the oil companies in the US is very tapped into to this for sure. And uh, with the energy crisis now, in Europe and with uh, shortages potentially over the holiday period, shipping and, and these issues are at the forefront of people's mind. I mean, it's the first time I've seen ships on the picture, uh, pictures of ships and major newspapers ever, other than trade winds or roads list. People actually know about container ships or tankers. It's refreshing in a way. Thank you, thank you, Alex. So we have almost four minutes left. I'll just pose one final uh, question to, to all. Uh, we talked a lot about the transition risks of climate change and uh, how changes in regulation, uh, how you reduce your emissions, how, what are the financial impacts of this um, transformation? Uh, what about the physical risks? Do you uh, have anticipated, are you um, doing a risk assessment for the physical part, either for acute uh, physical risks or chronic physical risks that will affect the industry? Is this part of your planning right now? Is it, um, are you focusing more on transitional risks? Jara, very briefly, and if that's relevant to your question, um, uh, we are participating in, uh, in hazard workshops, which are risk assessment workshops, when it comes to the use of uh, a specific type of alternative fuels in order to, uh, to ensure that all elements with regards to, uh, to the handling and the storage of uh, such fuels ensure the, uh, the safety and security of our crews on board. So, uh, so as a company, we are participating in, uh, in such initiatives. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Harris. Um, I was referring more to extreme weather events or chronic events in, in the sense that uh, whether this is incorporated also into your analysis in terms of uh, scenario modeling. So for example, under a two degree uh, scenario, uh, what geographies will be more impacted for extreme weather events, and if you incorporate that into your route planning or 
um, using scenario narratives to that direction. Yes, we're certainly starting that and we've core part of the sustainability committee that we set up in 2019, where that risk register is assessed um, by the non-exec members of that board and also their executive members of that board as well. Um, and also we're, we're, we're trialing a lot of the um, uh, data points that we've, that we've gathered from that um, and looking to implement those into, into the, uh, the scenario analysis that we look to roll out under our sustainability manager who we uh, hired earlier this year. So yeah, it's, it's very much bottom up. Um, and uh, you know it's 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 very much trial and error in terms of um, some of the, the findings that we're having, um, but it is definitely a, a core part of what we're trying to to roll out uh, as part of that uh, that risk assessment uh, and have some sort of tangible elements and, and data that's fitting into that. As we all know, in all of us in all of our roles, um, you know, uh, extreme weather is is something which we have to take on board, you know, as a necessary part of our wider risk management and safety concerns anyway. So yes, definitely, and, and, and it, but it's very much in its infancy for us. Thank you, thank you, Brian. And it also links a lot to a lot of the reporting standards. So all CDP, TCFD, et cetera. So I'm guessing it's, it's valuable uh, for reporting purposes as well. So our time is almost up. Uh, I would like to really thank you uh, for this very useful and fruitful dialogue. Uh, I would like to thank Capital Link uh, for giving us this opportunity today and all of the participants for attending this uh, panel. So thank you very much. Uh, have a, a nice day. Well, big thanks from me as well for a terrific panel on a great topic. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Okay, bye bye. bye.